0: You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. Sports Fix Tuesday. Tommy's in, uh, not in, but by phone. Aaron's at home. He'll edit this thing when it's done. I have my mock schedule. My Redskins mock schedule, an annual dumb tradition that I've been doing. I don't know how many years in a row, Tommy. I think it's 12 or 13 years I've been doing this um, on radio and on podcasts last year only, and now both this year. Um, We're going to get to the latest tweet from DH Simba. Um, seven. Oh boy. Uh, Don Shula. I want to talk to you about Shula and his standing. And I know you have some thoughts on Alex Smith, the last dance, um, and a few other things. But I'm gonna real quickly, I'm gonna start with some Alex Smith stuff because um I got two tweets that I wanted to share with you. Uh this tweet came from Yancey yesterday. Yancey said, I'm beginning to think that Alex Smith can return from this injury what perseverance what fortitude what a story I think he's going to play again at some point that was from Yancey and let me just read the second one real quickly from Kevin Um, he writes Sheehan why don't you want Alex Smith to play and then he goes on to (laughs) accuse me of not being an Alex Smith fan, which, by the way, I've said this before, is just utterly untrue. You know, some of you are really, really—you um, uh, you have the—you just don't have the ability to sort of see things as potentially mutually exclusive of one another, just because. I didn't think that Alex Smith had a good 2018 and didn't think he was playing very well and didn't think the offense was very good doesn't mean that I dislike Alex Smith. I wanted the trade. I was in favor of the trade, not the extension, but the trade. I was a fan of Alex Smith when he was at Kansas City. Tommy, you may or may not uh, remember this. And the only reason I remember it, quite honestly, is because Dan Steinberg Reminded me of this. He tweeted out something, or when when the Redskins traded for Alex Smith, Steinberg, I, I'm pretty sure retweeted a tweet of mine from like three years previous to that, where I said I believe that Kirk Cousins can become an Alex Smith or Andy Dalton type of starter, which by the way was a compliment. Um, so I always liked Alex Smith. Now why don't I want Alex Smith to play? because after watching that program the other night in particular, I don't want him to put himself at risk of playing. He's got a beautiful family. Um, he, you know, has all the money he'll ever need. I don't want to see him take the risk and play professional football. I'd love to see him get himself into position to play professional football. But by the way, to Yancey, who said he's beginning to think that Alex Smith can play, there's nothing that convinced me more that Alex Smith will never be able to play again than that documentary. The documentary the other night, Tommy, that the grotesque pictures in particular of the flesh-eating bacteria in the process of, you know, carving away essentially most of his leg between his knee and ankle. I don't know how anybody could look at that picture and think that he's ever going to play football again. I'm just so happy he's able to walk around on two legs and play with his kids. Anyway, uh, that's how I wanted to start you know, out the show. What do you say?
1: Well, look, I mean, the way things are going... They're going to start showing pictures of Alex Smith's leg on the concourse at FedEx Field.
0: <laughs> what does that mean?
1: Well, because this guy has become a Redskins icon. I mean, he's a legend already. He played nine games for this franchise. He was 6-3, and three, and he is arguably one of the most revered players that have put on that uniform in the past 10 years. Oh,
0: come on.
1: Oh, I'm telling you, Kevin. <sighs> Kevin, there are people that want to see him go out there and take a ceremonial last snap, Like he's got some kind of of legacy with the Redskins. You know? I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable. Look, I love Alex Smith. He's a terrific guy. People swear by him. He was a good quarterback. He wasn't. Uh, he, he and I agree with you. He didn't play very well in 2018, and that was all an illusion. What they that six and three record that they had then, but but uh, what this documentary has done has has almost put Alex Smith in the Sean Taylor class.
0: Oh, it has not. Um, you're Kevin, you're, exa- not, you're not, exaggerating. You're cr- you're trying to come up with a column idea. When am I no, going re- to when am I going to see that column yeah, tomorrow? No.
1: I'm not writing that column because that's not what I'm doing. I said almost. I said I didn't say in the Sean Taylor class, but but Alice Smith is revered for a tragedy that happened to him.
0: Look, it almost right? it almost became no, a, it's tra- a tragedy. It no, it almost it, became it, it, a a death tragedy as we yes, found out the other night.
1: Yes, it did. But he is revered. He's not revered for his play for the Redskins. He's revered and he's celebrated for this horrible thing he went through.
0: I think I think that's true. I in all uh, in all time Redskins icon or of the last ten years. I I, th- I think that's hyperbole. I think what you saw is you saw. An incredible sort of visceral reaction to that hour-long documentary by Redskin fans, by the way, by sports fans, not just Redskin fans, because it was so, um, it was really jarring in terms of the 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 pictures that we saw. Now we had sort of an anticipation of that because we those pictures got uh, sent out, you know, prior to the to the uh, to the show airing on Friday night. But um, I. I mean, look, there's a lot of Kevin, respect in it give, and admiration for what he went through. And, by the way, respect yeah. for him in in particular, because I think most people realize Alex Smith is like a good guy. Like, you know, people have always liked Alex Smith. He mentored Patrick Mahomes. Even Simba, even Haskins always <laughs> says nice things about Alex Smith and had a very nice tweet after the show the other night about him.
1: Kevin, make a list. Past ten years, two thousand ten to now, of all the beloved Redskins, I mean beloved, revered, celebrated.
0: Well, Sean Taylor, obviously, and he died now. Right. You know, twelve years but, ago, but, thirteen years right, ago, that, twelve and a half years yeah. ago.
1: I mean that's always going to be. Yeah, he's from now on, he'll always be on. on
0: Santana Moss. Ma- Santana place. Moss is really well liked and and okay. and thought highly of. Um, Cooley is obviously well liked. And thought okay. highly of, um, you know, Portis is. I mean, by the way, we're now going back. When did Portis eight, nine, stop playing? Yeah, I mean, 2010. You know, okay, was his? He played okay. that year, that first year with Shanahan, but you know, was was injured. Um, I, I, yes, I mean, it's it's a, it's a, it's a, short, a short list because Kirk Cousins is polarizing.
1: Yeah. So Alex Smith is not. I mean, Alex Smith is is. is I mean, with every passing day, he will always live. In Redskins lore, uh, as some kind of icon,
0: Ryan Kerrigan, I guess, ha- for,
1: for, for having his leg broken. I th- I, look at Ryan Kerrigan; doesn't generate anything.
0: Uh-huh.
1: He's a neutral. He's a neutral guy.
0: Well, no, I think I mean, everybody likes him, out- but he there's nothing yeah, exciting please. about him. Yes,
1: no, no yeah. there's nothing passionate about him. Right, not I, I agree passionate with that. About Ryan Kerrigan, but people are
0: passionate
1: about Alex Smith.
0: I think I mean, you, I think you just caught the reaction. Back, why
1: why don't actually pl- do you actually play for this
0: team? Do, uh, out of curiosity, the, the tweet that I got from this dude, Yancey, who said the other night made him believe that he's coming back more than ever, I thought the exact opposite after watching the other night. What did you think?
1: I agree with you, but I understand why people would think we'd get caught up in the comeback. I understand why people would get caught up, and I agree with you I don't, 100%. I, 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 didn't, I don't think he's going to play again. That only convinced me he wasn't going to play again. I hope he doesn't play again for him and his family's right. sake. But I think people got, get, get caught up. In, how many feel-good stories? This is a feel-good story only because of the horror that he went through and how he came back. Okay? There's not many feel-good stories surrounding this franchise. There's not many things to, that the rest of the NFL can look at. Yeah. And and if you're a Redskins fan, you could say, yeah, that's right. He wears out uniform. He's a Redskin. There's not many situations where Redskins fans can hold their head up and say, yeah, he's one of ours. Alex Smith is one. He's been here for five minutes, but he's a Redskin. And so I think that Redskins fans get, get caught up. And feeling good about something for a change,
0: the uh, there, there are a couple of things here, you know, in let's just get through all the Alex Smith stuff right now. Um, did you have any other takeaways from the documentary on Friday night because I'm curious, I, I thought you would have one definitely that you haven't mentioned yet.
1: Um, you know, my mind doesn't work so well in isolation. Why don't you tell me what I was thinking? Well, I
0: thought you would notice that the Redskins were essentially left out of it. You know, there was the Vernon Davis stuff, but that was basically about his time with the 49ers. There was a short clip from Adrian Peterson, but I thought, you know, guys like Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen, and other than Dr. Robin West, who, by the way, you know, essentially saved his life by keeping him in the hospital um, when he had the low grade fever. Um, that they were a bit conspicuous by their absence. And, the, and, the, the, and not just their absence in terms of interviews, but the mentions of anything having to do with the Redskins.
1: I didn't really
0: notice it, I guess. Oh, boy. Uh, Surprising to me. Um, I, 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 but, I, I didn't know. Hey, go ahead. No, I was going to say, look, a lot of that program was this setup for the season and the injury and what he was as a player and the perseverance that he had, you know, from those early days in San Francisco to becoming, you know, a real player and a real NFL quarterback with Harbaugh. You know, and then, you know, getting the break of being able to play for Andy Reid, but, you know, being benched and not getting the job back because of Kaepernick and then, you know, being a mentor to Patrick Mahomes and, you know, it it was all, you know, his his journey up until this November 18th, 2018. And then once we got the story of the injury and what went on in that first week after the injury and then the rehab and recovery, look, we all know that he became a constant with Dan Snyder during last season. In his box, you know, for many of those games, by his side, you know, uh, in many moments. And I thought maybe, even though... um Stefania Bell, who came on the radio show with me last week, did make the comment that Alex had nothing but overwhelmingly positive things to say about Snyder and about Allen and about the support that the organization had given him and his family through all of this. But in that hour-long documentary, you didn't get any of that.
1: No. No, you didn't. I guess I, I wasn't paying that close attention I was too busy looking at his leg the whole time. (laughs) Oh, my
0: God. It's so (laughs) true. You know, Tommy, I I thought about this. You know, this organization and all of the, you know, self-inflicted damage and a lot of the just bad luck circumstances, you know, tragic bad luck, um, like with Sean Taylor. You know you know qu- quite honestly think about that season alone he breaks a leg two weeks later the, the the backup quarterback breaks his leg you know it's just you know Chris Thompson at the end of the 2017 season remember essentially broke his leg in the in the New Orleans game which knocked him out and basically effectively ended the season you know all of the talk of the medical and by the way you know I wonder I I, I didn't bring this up yesterday I don't think I brought it up yet I wonder if the Redskins liked this documentary or didn't like it. Because on one hand, the infection, this flesh-eating bacteria, okay, which just... Threatened his life and more than threatened his leg. I mean, Doctor Robin West, who was got really super emotional at times talking about, you know, the relationship that he had made with with she had made with uh, Alex and Alex's wife. But she told Alex's wife, "I'd cut it off. I'd amputate it." Um, but I, I think the the implication that the field and the grass or the mud or whatever got into the system and became a flesh eating bacteria. You know, um, remember, we've had lots of criticism of that field. I mean, obviously, this could have happened on any field. By the way, a field yeah, turf. You know, it doesn't have... That's
1: what I thought. I, I, just, I just thought that... You know, I, I, I noticed, you know, that... But I thought, well, this is something that could have happened anyway. Of
0: course it could have. But, you yeah. know, there has been bad publicity about the stadium, about the field conditions. You know, and none of that had anything to do with this. But, you know, RG3's, you know, b- borderline career-threatening – I think there was a lot of other things, you know, threatening his career at that point – but um, was on a terrible field in January against the Seahawks. But – um, but what I was going to say, uh, this is what I was working towards, was imagine. Thank God he's alive. Thank God he's got his leg. I think the most for me as a father, you're a father as well. To see him at the end of that documentary, moving around pretty well with his very young kids, and all of us, you know, who have kids, have been out on a field trying to dodge him, and they're trying to chase you, and he's juking them a little bit, and just to see that was just really. It, I mean, you know, it didn't make me think of Alex Smith as a Redskins icon, but it really was such. A happy moment to see that he got back to that point, given that we had just seen the story and what he had to go through to get back to that point, which is why he should never play again um but... and, and
1: redskins fans want to embrace that happy moment,
0: yeah, well, because
1: they can count their happy moments on one thing, on one hand, yes with we three under- fingers
0: we we understand that. But, a Matt, but that's the reason. Tommy, a Matt,
1: That's the reason I- I know why that. they are so embracing
0: okay. it. Okay. But you know what? Kansas City fans are embracing this too. 49er fans and Utah football fans. I saw so many tweets from so many um, people in those markets, immediate people that knew him, that were also incredibly inspired. Um, But they
1: have more of a way to claim to him.
0: That's right. And the
1: Redskins have nine games.
0: That's true. That is true. What I was going to say, though, is what if he had passed away? What if he had lost a leg? I mean, it would have been one of those situations where, you know, we know all of the self-inflicted damage, but that would have been just a karma. You know, the aura of not just – it would have been – they've had – That would have been the second player that had a tragic circumstance in 12 years. Or at that point, it would have been 11 years. I mean, what
1: would have been a horrible, horrible, horrible horrible thing to live with? Oh, horrible. Horrible.
0: And and, and to me, God, thank God. And, you know, I don't know if he's going to be a part of this organization. I've talked to a lot of people, and, and JP was on with me yesterday. He thinks that if Alex wants a place in this organization, it's there for him. You know i that would be nice. I want Ron Rivera to make that decision, you know i i especially if it's a football position, which I would think it would be, but um, I don't know where he'll end up uh he well, here's where he's not going to end up,
1: contrary to popular opinion after our last podcast when I speculated about this. he's not going to be Dan Snyder's imaginary friend or new drinking partner. That's not who Alex Smith is going to be. He doesn't have enough weasel in him in order to be Snyder's drinking buddy and imaginary friend. He's too good
0: a human being. I think, I hope you're right. I think you're right. I think you're right, Tommy. Like, it's so funny that you said that because I sort of rolled my eyes last year wondering what was up. Because... Look, for those of you out there, I mean, think what you want to think. You, everybody's got their own perspective. We've heard a lot of the horror stories, and we've heard a lot of the relationship, you know, uh, relationship stories. I'm with you. Alex Smith doesn't need to hang out and be Dan Snyder's, you know, running buddy. That's not who he is. He's he's better than that. He's much smarter than that, better than that. Now, could Alex Smith be a guy that wants Dan Snyder to get involved in businesses that he might be involved in from an investment standpoint? uh, You know, whatever. Fine. But not to be hanging out 24-7, going over to his house, eating popcorn, watching movies, going to every game with him. Like, I, I, yes. I, I agree with you. That just doesn't seem to be, you know... I mean, he, I think he did it this past year because he was glad to be able to go to the games and he couldn't stand on the sideline during the games. Right. So, I hope you're right about that. I think you're right about that. Um, so do I. I want to get to... So that
1: job, that job is still open.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I know I, I know of at least three or four choices Um that he has. Um, But I also, you know, this is actually, okay, I got to be careful here. (laughs) I got to be a little bit careful here. I I, I think for now, I really think Ron Rivera is in charge. I really do. And you believe, and I think justifiably so, that whomever that right-hand man, running buddy would become, would be a, should be a concern to Ron Rivera you know should be and i think ron rivera knows that to a certain degree so i don't know if we'll actually see that necessarily in the first year here i i unless it's we may not unless it's we alex smith unless unless alex smith because he's still on the roster you know we see him with dan at every turn but i don't know that you'll see that i wanted to um I wanted to go back to something that involves Alex Smith because I, I, I talked about something on the podcast yesterday that several people said was the first time I've talked about it, which I don't think is true. Um, but, you know, I get confused now. I don't even know what day it is. Um, but I talked about that Jay Gruden and Alex Smith you know, Alex Smith and JP Finley was on with me when we were talking about this and JP said, I don't think that, you know, people, the fans really understand that some of these Bruce Allen deals were Bruce Allen deals. And we you and I understand that and a lot of people in the media do and we've tried to, you know, communicate that the Josh Norman thing um the Alex Smith trade was a Bruce Allen trade. You know, there was not a whole lot of consensus building. This was a trade that he made, and it was not a good fit for Jay Gruden. Jay Gruden would have moved forward happily with Colt McCoy as the quarterback. But what I talked about yesterday, and some of you, I had at least three people tweet me and say, I haven't heard you tell the stories about, first of all, Kirk Cousins and Jay Gruden MFing each other. Well, that happened at the end of 2017. It was either that Denver-Arizona game late in the year at FedEx Field. And I had heard from a very good source, not Cooley, um, that they really, at the end of that year, sort of really had a problem with each other. And in a game in which Jay was trying to communicate during those 15 seconds on the headset, they ended up just MFing each other on the headset. Um, And, you know, everybody knew internally at that point it was done. Now, my point, and I've made this before about Jay Gruden, Jay, Jay Gruden, I don't know that Aaron Rodgers would please him, you know, because quarterbacks, he played the position, he has a great belief in the way he wants things done, and it's like nothing will ever satisfy him except for his boy Colt, but I think he realizes Colt's limitations too. But anyway, Um, I talked about how in the 2018 season before the Alex Smith injury, I knew this and a lot of other people knew this. I'm pretty sure I I have talked about this before, but Jay was very frustrated with Alex Smith. Um, Now it's the early part of their relationship. You know, they've only played eight games together. You know, there's the possibility that it's going to be better, but I, I think Jay really didn't. Adapt to what Alex Smith did well, necessarily. I mean, we saw some RPO, but we didn't see enough quick game. We didn't see enough West Coast. We didn't see enough getting them on the move. And I talked about that during the season. The game that sticks out to me is the Colt game, uh, week two, when the Colts are playing soft zone start to finish, and the Redskins can't pitch and catch like they would have the previous years. You know, They were great at when teams were in soft zone, Kirk just getting it out quickly, to somebody, you know, on a six-yard hitch and boom, you know, it was eight yards. The next one was four yards, move the chains. They Jay never adapted his offense to Alex Smith. I put that on Jay. But he was very frustrated, you know, in practices and in games because he didn't feel like Alex Smith was really getting it. I, I also think that he didn't adapt to Alex Smith's strengths. But yeah, that was going on. And when Colt McCoy came in, and JP and I were talking about this, Tommy, yesterday. He, certainly no one was happy to see Alex Smith get hurt the way he got hurt. That's not, Of course, nobody was rooting for that. But I remember saying at the time, Jay Gruden, if you injected truth serum into Jay Gruden right now, he would tell you with Colt McCoy, the offense is on the verge of taking off. And I think he really was confident in Colt. And Colt had a short work week to prepare for the Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day, which happened to have been the day that Alex Smith really started to get sick in the hospital. Um, and then, if you recall, Jay was really, really bullish about the amount of time that, that Colt had to prepare for the Eagles' Monday night game.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. You know, all this does is just one more illustration as to how – and I'm, you know, I'm sure there's other franchises like this if we break them all down – but, like, just in the past five years or six years, how screwed up the quarterback position <laughs> has been with this team. Yeah. I mean, uh, to the point where the the best quarterback they had, they hated. The, the, or, I mean, the, the front office hated him, You know, and Kirk Cousins. The best quarterback that they had, they, they, they did well, everything he, to drive away.
0: Well, I mean, he, it, it started because he wasn't RG3. That's what started it. He was doomed because he wasn't RG3.
1: But uh I mean, you talk about that, you talk about, you know, what you the, the scenario you just went through. I mean, they traded for they made this big trade, gave up, you know, some talent, paid a lot of money to Alex Smith, and the coach was probably happier when Colt McCoy was in there running the offense. I mean, that's that really shows you I mean, Ron Smith, in some ways, has got an easy road ahead of him because you Ron would have Rivera, to work yeah. pretty. Ron Rivera, you would have to work pretty hard to be as dysfunctional as the Redskins have been in the past, particularly in the last five years or so.
0: Well, Jay Gruden, I mean, you'd
1: have to make a you'd have to make a real effort to be this bad of an organization.
0: Jay Gruden told us at the end of 2018 that they had to get on the same page. They weren't on the same page. And I think, you know, one of the things we've seen here in this offseason, it's encouraging to me that everybody seems to be on the same page. Why? Because there's no Bruce Allen in the organization. You know, there's no lone ranger that essentially is off doing his own thing. Um s- Go ahead. Were you going to say something? Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: So – um That leads me to this. And I talked a little bit about it, I'm pretty sure, yesterday. uh, But I want to get to it here in a moment. And that is some of the details that were revealed by Albert Breer on the Trent Williams trade. Uh, Let me first tell you, though, about MyBookie.ag. Whether you're down on your luck or just down because you're stuck, find relief with MyBookie where there's never a quarantine on fun. Life Without Sports is finally nearing an end this week with the UFC putting on its first show in nearly two months and you can bet the house that everyone will be watching over under submissions, KO decisions, and every other type of bet that you can possibly ask for. Start off small or swing for the fences by taking advantage of this stacked card to win some quick cash at MyBookie. And if the return of a good old-fashioned blood sport doesn't get your attention alone, have some fun on the house with a wager that you simply can't lose, Tommy. You heard that right. A sports bet that you can't lose. This Saturday, grab a risk-free bet up to $49 from our friends at MyBookie because they don't want you to miss out on the action, and neither do we. Earnings from MMA and simulated sports not coming in quick enough? Try your hand in the MyBookie Casino with instant access to hundreds of classic slot and table games. New blackjack tournaments starting every week, offering opportunities to enter free and score a portion of the huge jackpots. Stay safe, stay sane from the comfort of your own home. Sign up right now, mybookie.ag. Use the promo code kevin d c that's kevin d c and they'll match your deposit halfway all the way up to a thousand dollars if you put in a hundred bucks they'll spot you fifty so you're basically getting free money to play with just for supporting the show with my bookie, you bet you win, and most importantly, when you win, you get paid and that's where I'll just say and add um I have looked at a lot of these offshore books, a lot of these internet books this is one you can rely on if you've been looking for something like this. They they also have a ton of futures bets. You're into the NFL, you want to bet futures, you know, bet the Redskins over under total right now, you know, bet where Cam Newton ends up. Those kinds of things are available uh, at my bookie. But uh, this Saturday, you get a risk-free bet up to $49, right? So you can just roll 49 bucks out on anything and you're not going to lose it through MyBookie.ag. Uh, um, so... Uh, there were a couple of things from this Albert Breer story that if I didn't mention yesterday in more detail, I wanted to mention them with you today. So um, here is essentially the key portions of that story. I'll read them. Two relationships became critical um, in trying to get a deal done between the 49ers and the Redskins for Trent Williams. One of those relationships for John Lynch, the general manager in San Francisco, was with Joe Staley. Joe Staley had informed the 49ers that he was going to retire. Um, The other uh, relationship that became critical for Lynch was Ron Rivera. In the case of Staley, they wanted Staley to keep his plans quiet during the first and second days of the draft to help the Niners keep sort of chatter on their newly urgent need at left tackle down to a minimum. Breer writes that in the case of Rivera and the trust in Rivera and that relationship in Rivera, trust between Lynch and Rivera would prove integral. And that really started with Lynch calling Rivera, telling him he'd like to get a deal done for Trent Williams before the draft, but Rivera having to come back to John Lynch with bad news before round one. They had agreed on the parameters of a trade, But Ron got back to Lynch right before the draft started and said, there's too much interest, John. We're not going to get this done prior to the draft. So Lynch says, quote, that was tough. We were taking on a lot of risk not knowing if we had Trent Williams because we liked some of the tackles in the draft too. Add to this, Breer writes, There were plenty of moving parts in the Williams deal, not the least of which were the fractured relationships between Washington owner Dan Snyder and both Williams and Kyle Shanahan. Uh, Long story short, everyone involved was acutely aware that the team doing a deal would, in essence, be Snyder giving both Shanahan and Williams what they wanted, which made things inherently fragile. That's where trust would play a role. It's very frustrating on day one of the draft, Lynch said. We tried to finish the trade before the draft, and other teams entered the fray. And then it's, come on, Ron, we can't go into this draft not knowing whether we have him or not. But Ron said to me, uh, I'm sorry, Ron, to me, meaning John Lynch, just has tremendous integrity. I've known him for a long time, so I knew that it was going to be for the right reasons if we didn't get him sort of implying there a trust. Um, so then they get to the uh, the end of the first round and prior to Friday. The Niners in that first round traded back a spot with Tampa. So that t- they, they wanted Javon Kinlaw, but they passed on Tristan Wirfs, the offensive lineman from Iowa, which now made the trade for Williams even more imperative. Day two was kind of a long day, Lynch said. Um, they had offered the Redskins a fifth this year, a third next year. We didn't change the offer in part because we couldn't change it. The fifth was the highest 2020 pick we had, um, and the three uh, for next year. Uh, Lynch basically implied that they believed that that was the best deal offered to the Redskins. They thought he said it believed he believed it nudged them above the field for Williams. All of that sounded good, but didn't make the waiting any easier, Breer writes, with the knowledge that they didn't have Staley and might not get Williams. It was the best we could do, really, Lynch said. I think at that point, that's what delayed us. The other teams, I can't speak for them, but some other teams said, hey, we might get some picks here, which would enable us to do something with Washington. And then the Redskins, probably rightly so, exercised some patience to try to get the best thing they could for their organization. And ultimately, our offer was. And then he said Rivera called them on Saturday morning paying off the trust that Lynch and company had shown in him to keep his word to them and Williams would be a niner. So there were two things in particular that came out of this to me that I thought were one was sort of um, validation for what I thought and what I've talked about for a while and the other one was confirmation about something. The validation is Tommy that Snyder Snyder doesn't like Trent Williams either. This was always more than just Trent Williams versus Bruce Allen. So for all those people out there that think that Trent Williams got Bruce Allen fired, it's not true, okay? Bruce Allen got Bruce Allen fired. The empty seats, the hashtag fire Bruce Allen, all of it sort of caught up with him. Trent Williams, don't give him credit for getting Bruce Allen fired because others in management were really, really, really mad, upset, they felt betrayed, and Dan Snyder was one of them. Uh, And and by the way, just the thought of Trent Williams and Kyle Shanahan reuniting Tommy and potentially having a great team and winning the Super Bowl probably makes him physically ill. The The other thing to me, which is confirmation, is that what we got here is we got confirmation from Breer that it is Ron running the show. He's the one talking to Lynch. He's the general manager in the organization. You know, he's the one that's making the trade and handling the communication between the teams. Now, I don't know that that's a major surprise to me, but it's just confirmation about something that some people have wondered and that is, well, who's making the trades? Is it Kyle? Is it Ron? Is it Rob Rogers? You know, who's doing it? Well, the 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 reason this deal got done is because Lynch trusted Rivera and Rivera's integrity um, and that's where the communication was. Ron right now is your general manager. I mean, Kyle Smith is the VP of player personnel, and they work together very closely, and maybe he'll get the GM title. I don't know. Although it sort of sounded to me like uh, last week when I talk, when I had Rivera on the show that it wouldn't necessarily happen, but I, I, I'm not going to predict that. But uh, those were the two takeaways from that that I had. What did you have?
1: Well, the confirmation part of it is really key here. You're right. I think people, you know, believed, uh, because it's only been uh, four four months that Ron Rivera was in charge, but we didn't really know for sure who was actually calling the shots on all the personnel deals. Uh, I mean, because there is this idea that Kyle Smith is their top personnel guy in the organization, and what does that mean? in terms of, uh, you know, the ability to make deals. So you're right. There was confirmation in this. I mean, John Lynch took a big risk knowing the volatility of this organization. Even, uh, even if you would believe that, well, Rivera's only been here four months. Nobody's going to do anything stupid. It's still a risky proposition given, I mean, the history of this organization. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, Look, it worked out. It worked out for both teams. I know the 49ers got the better end of the deal, but uh, I I felt like the Redskins needed to get out of the Trent Williams business. And you're right. uh, The confirmation that Ron Ron Rivera is calling the shots certainly comes out of the storyline behind that trade.
0: Yeah, I think it does. Um, All right, so three more things to get to actually four things um, because we haven't read uh, the Simba tweet yet <laughs> but somebody um, pointed me in the direction of, of the Simba tweet uh, DH underscore Simba 7 that's Dwayne Haskins on Twitter and he tweeted out just you know b- about an hour or so ago once you cross me you lost me no more fake love hashtag shh He's shushing people. Um, I don't know what it means, man. I don't know who pissed him off. I don't know who crossed him. You know, I don't know if it's a personal thing in his life or if it's, you? A, if it's a media thing. No, I don't think it was me. Um, I, I well, doubt it's maybe me. Maybe it was me. It could have been you. Could have been somebody you else.
1: Know, it's funny because Grant Paulson tweeted out after right after the documentary how uh i i think is a re- kind of a ridiculous idea but other people have done it too that it would be great to have Alex Smith take a a like a ceremonial snap
0: that's what i said at, in like, a preseason game at, i said that last week yeah at, oh
1: they, they, he said like you know during the victory formation at the end of a game
0: yeah and oh, i
1: yeah. retweet i retweeted it oh, boy, with a you... comment <laughs> saying you know he could do it while Dwayne's taking the Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, well, when did you do that? Was it yesterday or last night? Oh, I night?
1: did that minute, minutes after the, after the documentary.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Like, all this happened within minutes after, the, after the E60 yeah. documentary ended. So maybe work got back to him. Maybe he's upset with me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm reading some of the responses. To, I, by the way, it's funny that you automatically assumed that it was a media member. And if that's true, man, if I'm... Sean Springs or a mentor to him, I'm like, Dwayne, whatever you do, do not listen to anybody in the media. Don't listen to fans or you'll be sitting with them. All right. The old saying. Um, but you know, I, I, I saw this tweet right before we started today, somebody sent it to me and I I wanted to see what the responses were to it. Again, I don't know. I don't even know what it means. It could be a personal thing towards somebody that just crossed him in his life. I don't know. It could be a business thing for all I know. Um, but man, you know the 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 reactions are very mixed. You know, it's like young fella, worry about becoming a great quarterback. Anything else should be trivial to me, uh, to you. Um, uh, hold on, I'll, I'll get to him. You're worse. You know,
1: than, but it's obvious. It's obvious that he doesn't. He doesn't believe that.
0: You're worse than he, RG three this. on this app. Somebody um, said, uh, get you know GTFOH. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people supporting him. Um, uh, there's, you know, there's several of them. Uh, there was one that made me, um, hold on. I'll find it. He gets a lot of responses to these things. You know, there
1: was, a. But he's not taking that advice. No, but he keeps doing it.
0: Oh, here's one. Just stop, man. I've seen this story before. Don't worry about the noise. People that criticize only envy who you are. Why give them the satisfaction? of responding somebody else tweeted the more you tweet the more I think the skins made the wrong decision thin-skinned franchise quarterback um oh oh the guy that tweeted out the more you tweet the more I think the skins made the wrong decision I guess got blocked by Dwayne and he said blocked thin-skinned franchise quarterback great (laughs) I I You know, there's nothing you can tell somebody this age right now about social media and the way older people with a ton of life experience read into sort of the psychology of somebody who's always on there and responding to, you know, sensitive criticism. You can't tell them anything. Bottom line is, and I'm stuck on this, and it may do me in on Dwayne Haskins. I think he's good. I think he's so much better than I thought he was going to be, and I want him to start 16 games, and I think he's going to prove himself. And, Tommy, one of the things about him, you know that I sort of dial in on this when it comes to sports guys. He's a badass competitive guy. That's what's impressive to me about him, and that's why I think on the field he's going to rise above a lot of this other stuff. It doesn't mean that this stuff won't be limiting at some point, but I I think he's going to be good, so I'm not going to get hung up on this. But I do recognize it as, you know, a concern. I mean, Urban Meyer, his college coach, said this is a concern, him on, on social media.
1: Well, again, my issues with him are all off the field, uh, all tied to his relationship with the owner and And the dysfunction that that could create, and the empowerment feeling that that could create for a young man who's who's good friends with one of the richest guys that he's probably ever met uh but you know i mean and and you know this whole this competitive thing that you keep talking about how he's so competitive uh why did he come off the field when, it's, when, when he, could, he could, with, the, with the ankle then?
0: In the Green Bay game or the Giant game?
1: Whichever game where because I think he the had gi- I think the devastating Giant devastating ankle injury.
0: Yeah, I think the Giant game was the game that basically didn't he say that Dan you know was there to tell me not to go back in?
1: No, no, no. It's not the Giant game. It's it's it's, it's the not green, the Giant game.
0: The Green Bay game.
1: Though. Yeah, yeah. Um, where is this? Where is this? Co- competitive streak. I didn't
0: I, I I just I've seen it in the clutch moments the few that he's had
1: okay okay so, so he has moments
0: he's got moments he does have moments okay. <laughs> you have moments Um oh, I appreciate that I think that was a compliment um sarcasm uh all right you ready for my mock draft before we, we talk a little bit about Don Shula it, your mock schedule my mock schedule excuse me my mock schedule
1: yes. you, you realize by the way Everything at this point is a mock
0: schedule. Yes, it is. (laughs) Including the one that comes out for real on Thursday night. All right, so... Yes, everything is. So basically, and some of you know this and many of you don't, um, I've been basically mocking... uh, the schedule process with my own Redskins mock schedule for many years now. It's dumb, it's stupid, but it's, you know, I don't do mock drafts. I'm not an expert on the draft. I do really get into the NFL schedule, and I always have. For me, as a Redskins fan, you know, it's always been the time of year where you're like, all right, right, we're you know when are they going to play Dallas? Where are the two games with the Cowboys? How many times are they going to be on national television, et cetera, et cetera? Um but that was back when I really cared. Now now I just like doing the mock schedule. Um the mock schedule by the way I did not take into consideration really any of the contingencies that that the NFL may be considering. There're too many to try to figure out. So I just went with the basic, like the schedule is going to be a normal schedule where the season's going to start on Sunday, September 13th for them. And on Sunday, January 3rd, they're going to play 16 games. Most of you understand this. The The number, the teams that they're playing have already been determined. Um, the NFC East is playing the AFC North this year, the four teams from the North, the Ravens, the Bengals, the Browns, and the Steelers. They are also also, the NFC East teams playing the NFC West this year, San Francisco, Arizona, Seattle, and the Rams. Um, for those of you that don't know this, NFL schedules, there's, there are two games, that's it, that are different among the teams in each division. The NFC East teams, the Cowboys, Eagles, Giants, and Redskins, have 16 games and 14 of them are the exact same. All right, They play each other twice. They play, in this particular season, the AFC North and the NFC West. And then there are two games that are different, and those two games are determined by where you finished in the standings the previous year, and you play the same team that finished in the same spot in the other two NFC divisions. And so the two games that are different for the Redskins this year from Dallas, Philly, and the Giants are they play the Panthers, who were the last place team in the NFC South, and the team that was the last place team in the NFC North, the Detroit Lions. They play the Lions on the road, the Panthers at home. All right, so here it is, my 2020 Redskins mock schedule. Um, I have a very sort of intriguing to the two markets anyway, not so much to the league, home opener against the Carolina Panthers on Sunday, September 13th at FedEx Field at 1 o'clock. The Redskins have played two straight road openers last year in Philly, the year before that in Arizona. So I think it's sort of time for them to play a home opener at FedEx. And I've got the Panthers, Tommy, early in the year. Here is the one contingency I sort of built into the, the mock schedule, and that is less travel early in the year when maybe we still have some issues and, you know, basically for the most part overnight trips, you know, their trips to the West coast are going to wait until November um, because they have two of them this year. All right. So Carolina is the home opener one o'clock FedEx, September 13th week two at Cleveland one o'clock on September 20th week three is their first of two national television games. They only had two last year. They played Minnesota on a Thursday night. Every single team plays a Thursday game, all right, and every single team plays a Monday night game. You have to play, I believe the rules are, a minimum of two national television games. The Redskins only had two last year because they weren't going to be good, and I only think they're going to have two this year (laughs) because they're not supposed to be very good. So week three, I've got them at the Giants on a Monday night in the Meadowlands. Week four, the Ravens at home. Week five, the Cowboys at home on a Thursday night, so they, they're getting their two national television games, the minimum, out of the way in the first five weeks of the season, and then they have. Okay, their... so
1: let let me just stop.
0: Yeah, you. stop uh, me whenever answer. you want.
1: This was five games you've done, right? Yep. Okay, so they're 1-4 as of this point.
0: <laughs> okay, well, we can do that <laughs> afterwards if you want to. Um, okay. So then their bye week comes in week six. Um, last year it was right in in the middle of the season. They, I think they played the Vikings, and then after that they had the bye after the Thursday night game. So actually, I, I forget if that's right or not. Um was there a bye week right after the Viking game last year? I know you don't care. I don't recall. Uh, I have it, to look it up. It actually was. I had that. It looks like I had that right. Um, and so this year, I mean, uh, this is completely coincident, coincidental. I've got their bye week after their Thursday night game, too. So I've got in week five them playing Dallas at home on a Thursday night and then a bye week. Then they're at Pittsburgh on October 25th, 1 o'clock game. At San Francisco on November 1st, 425 Eastern, Philadelphia at home on November 8th. That's the first half of the season. Caroline at home, at Cleveland, at the Giants on a Monday night, Baltimore at home, Dallas at home on a Thursday night, bye week at Pittsburgh, at San Francisco, Philly at home. Here is the second half of the mock schedule. You know this, that every year I get people that are saying, damn, I, I can't go to the Dallas game you know, in November. I'm, I've got a wedding that weekend. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not real. Dopes. <laughs> um, I get that every single year when I put it out on Twitter or when we do it here. Uh, the second half of the schedule, November 15th at home against the Seahawks, 1 o'clock. West Coast team coming east for a 1 o'clock kick. Maybe they got a chance against Russell Wilson and company. Then on November 22nd at Arizona, 4.05, the Rams at home on November 29th. I saw a lot of people thinking that the Redskins are going to be involved in a Thanksgiving Day game. Why? Why? They, play, they played. Remember, three straight years on Thanksgiving. If you recall, it was Dallas, the Giants at home on a Thanksgiving night game, and then it was Dallas again. Right? It was twenty six. Yeah, Cole
1: McCoy played in the last yeah, one.
0: Twenty sixteen in Dallas on Thanksgiving. Twenty seventeen at home against the Giants, and twenty eighteen was the the four days after Alex Smith's injury. Which, you know, one of the things they didn't point out in that documentary is, you know, when he started to get really sick, it was Thanksgiving Day, um, and the Redskins were playing in Dallas. Anyway, um, so uh, I don't think they're playing on Thanksgiving Day. Um, Dallas, the Redskins play at Detroit, too, this year, so they could actually play at Detroit on Thanksgiving, but I don't see that happening. I've got them Thanksgiving weekend at home against the Rams, and then December starts with a road game at Detroit a road game on December 13th at Philadelphia, and then their home against the Bengals on December 20th at Dallas on December 27th, and they close the season against the Giants at home on January 3rd. They played the Cowboys last year, the Eagles the two previous years. 2016 was the last time they had the Giants in a season finale, and I sort of like the – uh, the possibility of the Giants being their closing game this year. So there you go. That's the Redskins' mock schedule. Caroline at home, at Cleveland, at Giants on a Monday night, Baltimore at home, Dallas at home on a Thursday night, bye week, at Pittsburgh, at San Francisco, Philly at home, Seattle at home, at Arizona, the Rams at home, we're into December now at Detroit, at Philly, Cincy at home at Dallas, and then the Giants. There you go, my 2020 Redskins mock schedule. I tweeted it out earlier today at Kevin Sheehan, D.C. You can see it in its entirety there if you forgot it or you what's, weren't writing anything down.
1: What's the most you've ever gotten right?
0: Well, you know what? Last year, I think. Last year was the best. I think last year was the best I've ever done with it. And I can't remember exactly what I got right off of the schedule last year, but I think I had, like, two exactly right and two, like, the right weekend. But, like, the, I think I had Minnesota on the correct weekend, but it turned out to be a Thursday night game instead of a Sunday game. I, I think last year may have been my best year. Most years I don't get any right. Um, some years I get one right i 've had a couple of years where i 've gotten two right. The most impressive I remember people uh, Cooley in particular was blown away in twenty uh, in two thousand and eighteen when I predicted that they would play Tennessee. On December 22nd, on a Saturday. <laughs> and I got that one. I nailed it. Like I had the start time of the game, the day of the week, the, the actual, um, you know, week 16. Uh, I had that exactly right. So I don't know. My expectation, as you know, with this thing is very low. Um, if I get one right, I consider it to be uh, very good. And if I get two right, I consider it to be a rousing success.
1: So that is a six-win schedule.
0: I don't know what it is. It's a tough schedule they're on gonna paper. Have,
1: they're they're, they're going to have a strong December.
0: I can tell you right now, based on last year's records, I think the Redskins have the second toughest schedule in the NFL. Um, somebody put that out, actually, last night or earlier today, and somebody sent it to me. Um, here it is. Uh Mike, is it is it Mike Clay? Is that the dude? Mike Clay, who works for the NFL Network, I think. Um, in ranking the schedule, um, the strength of schedule based on, you know, the 2019 results, the Redskins have the second toughest, third toughest schedule, excuse me, third toughest schedule. And the reason for that is that the NFC East is playing the AFC North which you could easily argue on paper is the best division in the AFC with the Ravens, uh the Steelers, the Brown the Browns, you know, a lot of people like that team, and then the Bengals are, you know, obviously bring up the rear. I guess you could say the AFC South might be a little bit more competitive, but it's 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 debatable. And then in the NFC, they get the NFC West, which is probably the best division in the NFC. You could say the South or the North it's close. But the 49ers, Seahawks, Rams, and the Cardinals are on the you know really on the rise here. So absolutely, yeah. It's a, and it's, the
1: card the Cardinals are really going to be tough to deal with, I think.
0: Yeah, and then the other two games, Carolina shouldn't be very you know they're not going to be good. They're like the Redskins. They should they're not going to be a playoff contender this year more likely than not. But the other last place they team they played is the Lions. But they the Lions were in last place because Matt Stafford got hurt. You know, and didn't play much of the year. Um, he was actually in the midst of, you know, one of his best seasons when he got hurt. I wanted to mention real quickly be, before we move on, and I want to get your thoughts on Don Shula. You know, when the NFL schedule comes out on Thursday night, um, the, the, the teams that are marquee teams right now the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Niners, and Tommy, the Buccaneers. They have great schedules. There are so many heavyweight matchups on paper that you will see on Thursday night with a lot of these games, you know, likely being fought over between the networks. But, you know, take the defending champion Chiefs as an example. You know, they have games, they play at Baltimore. They play at Tampa. Okay, so you got, you got a Brady-Mahomes uh, matchup. They play at New Orleans in the Superdome. They play at Buffalo. Buffalo is the favorite to win the AFC East. Um, they also have home games against the Patriots, uh, the Texans, and the Falcons. In I didn't even mention their division. I think the Patriots are an intriguing team. I don't think they're going to be a good team, but I think they're an intriguing team. Um And then you get the Ravens. You know, the Ravens, because they're playing the NFC East, no matter what you think about the NFC East, their teams draw from a television standpoint. And Dallas and Philly, you know, the expectations are playoffs. And so the Ravens this year, they have, where is it here? They have, listen to some of the games they have. They play at Arrowhead. They play at Dallas. They play the Eagles at home. They play the Texans at home, and then you know the Titans at home the team I'm sorry they play I'm sorry, they play the Redskins away, they play the Eagles away, and the Texans away. they play the Cowboys at home, my fault, Um the Cowboys chiefs and Titans at home, the team that beat them in the playoffs. That's a hell of a schedule. but then the one, the one that you really got to see is 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 Brady's first year in Tampa. Listen to the home games the Buccaneers have this year their own division, which includes the Saints and the Falcons. The Saints, two games against the Saints are huge games. They have the Packers at home. That's my prediction, by the way, for the Sunday night NBC opener um, on opening Sunday is Buccaneers-Packers, Brady against uh, Rodgers in the Sunday night game. They play the Chiefs at home. They play the Rams at home. They play the Vikings at home. They play the Chargers, who you know have a chance to be decent, um, although it's not a Philip Rivers matchup. But that's an unbelievable home schedule for the Buccaneers in Brady's first year. I think the Chiefs, by the way, are I, they, they, you know they're going to open the season that Thursday night, September tenth. If if a season starts then at Arrowhead is the defending champs. Um, their home, you know, opponents are the Broncos, Raiders, Chargers in the division. They also have the Patriots, Jets, Falcons, Panthers, and Texans. Their better games are on the road against the Ravens, Buccaneers, and Saints, in particular. But I, I'm guessing the Patriots. I, I, I'm guessing the Patriots because I think the Patriots are still very intriguing. People are going to want to see that first Patriot game with, you know, perhaps Jarrett Stidham at starting quarterback.
1: Oh, I agree. I mean, Belichick is still going to be a very intriguing person going into the season, and I think as the season goes on, he will be. Uh, the Belichick and Brady race, as to who comes out on top, will be one of the big storylines Definitely. Uh, now that they're finally separated.
0: There are some big, big you know, TV matchups that I guarantee you is making this schedule a little bit difficult to put together, not to mention all of the uncertainty and the contingency planning. But like the 49ers, the defending NFC champions, they play the Packers at home so a rematch of the NFC Championship game. They play the Cowboys on the road. 49ers-Cowboys is a big matchup, trust me, for TV execs. They play the Patriots. They play the Saints. That may have been the best regular season game of the year, the 48-46 game in the Superdome. Um, They play the Eagles. They play Buffalo. Buffalo is going to get some attention this year. That could be a good football team uh, this year. So there are a lot of really, um, when we see the schedule Thursday night, look, I, I, most people don't give a shit. Uh, that's fine. But right now there's nothing to watch. So I will be watching that schedule show and then praying that we actually get to see every game when it's scheduled as it appears on Thursday night. That's what I'm hoping for. You better light a lot of candles. Yeah, probably. Um, um, All right, uh, real quick uh, mention to all of you that if you haven't reviewed or rated the podcast and you have an opportunity to do that on your podcast platform, do it, it really helps us. Appreciate that. Also, 6 to 9 a.m., Team 980. Um, you can listen you know, to the radio show in your home if you've got Google Home or Alexa. Um, you can listen on the Team 980 app, too. It's an easy app. Download it. You can listen to everybody's show, Zabe's show, my show, Doc's show with, with Galdi, um, Brian's show with Scott Lynn, whenever you want, any of the interviews. I had David Falk on the show today. He was actually, I mean, he's always a great storyteller, Um, He actually revealed a couple of things that I hadn't heard before. Um, He said Reinsdorf really did want Phil back for the 1998-99 season um, after that last title, but couldn't convince him to do so as long as Jerry Krause was there. And I said, well, why didn't he get rid of Krause? And he said Krause was basically, you know, like, you know, family and a running buddy for him. It's almost like it, it reminded me of what Bruce Allen's been to Dan Snyder here. Uh, the last few years, without all of the championships um, to go with it. Uh, Shula passed.
1: Reinsdorf, though. Uh, I know Reinsdorf. Oh, you he's do? Lo- yeah, he's loyal to a fault. Yes. And he's very loyal.
0: fucking yeah, implied that.
1: He takes care of a lot of old White Sox players, finds jobs for them in the organization, things like that. He's a very loyal guy. So I could see how he'd be – he would not just cut Jerry Krause loose. Uh, it, it, it goes against his nature.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's exactly what David Fox said this morning for all intents and purposes. All right, I wanted to talk about Don Shula. I spent 15 minutes yesterday talking about him. When you and I have had these conversations over the years, conversations that, by the way, you and I both love to have, um, you know, about – not today's players and coaches but you know the coaches over a long period of time and we've had this debate over coaches before um where does shula rank for you boy th- th- this is so hard
1: i mean this this argument about greatest coaches is so hard because it seems insane sometimes to if if you're making a list of the top 3 uh, the guys you would leave out seem insane. I know. Or if you're making a list of the top five. I mean, you can't leave out Lombardi. You can't leave out Paul Brown. You can't leave out Belichick. I don't think you can leave out Gibbs. You can't leave out Walsh. And then the winningest coach of all time, Don Shula. You can't leave him out. George Halas. Won six NFL championships. He founded the league.
0: Landry, Knowles. You're
1: going to leave him out, but yeah, I mean, so I mean, it, it's so hard because yeah, if you say top five and you look at who you leave out, I think Shula sure, has got to be in the top five. But uh, God help me for the coaches I'm leaving out. I mean, the guy who won, who who basically built the Miami Dolphins. Uh, you know, the Miami Dolphins. He went to the Dolphins still in the early days of the merger, uh, 1970, you know, uh, so that he was building a team almost from scratch there uh, and built them to be the the standard of winning for decades. I mean, the Dolphins were always a winning franchise. You know, they may not have been the franchise that went far in the playoffs at some point, but, I mean, they were always a winning franchise organization uh he's he's one of the greatest coaches in history and you know i'm writing a column for the mars washington times about how if he had people forget i mean people because people think the world started when they were born people forget he was the coach of the baltimore colts you know the coach who wound up losing to the jets in the super bowl super bowl three he was a great coach in baltimore yeah uh, you know, I had the pleasure of doing the book with the late John Mackey. Mackey's book, and he raved about Shula and what a great coach he was, and how good he was dealing with players. And the possibility is, if Shula didn't leave Baltimore, he the Colts might not have left Baltimore.
0: Tom, why did he leave Baltimore for Miami?
1: Well, he had—I mean, he had a falling out with Kyle Rosenblum. It was Super Bowl three. It was the embarrassment of losing that and, and the, the grief that Kyle Rosenblum co- took from other NFL executives and other NFL people. I'm sure he used to tell this joke that uh, he said Rosenblum used to get calls about losing Super Bowl three, and he'd hand the phone to me. You know? So uh, it really was a falling out that Rosenblum couldn't stand his he reminded him of what happened. I mean, it, it was the worst embarrassment in, in, in the NFL losing that game uh, to the Jets, and uh, that's why he left. He, you know, well, it bad, was an embarrassment to Rose the, the
0: NFL, not just to the Colts, right?
1: Yes, yeah, but the Colts were the first ones to lose to the AFL uh, upstart, right? Even though the merger had, you know, already un- been taken place. By, by then. Well the
0: merger had been voted uh, on. The merger didn't start on. until seventy. Right. The, it didn't start yeah. until
1: seven. Yeah. But uh so that was it. It was losing to the Jets. The, the the pain was too much to uh go on. But if 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 they had gotten past that, uh Shua was a great enough coach to have built an organization that could have been good in Baltimore for years. And it's conceivable that he could have that that the Colts could have stayed in Baltimore. Instead of moving, the the wild card would have been if Rosenblum still sells t- switches teams with, right, with Ersa. With yeah, uh, it's still
0: how, it's still a weird thing, fun. don't yes, you think? Yes. For people to in this day and age to understand that the Colts and Rams, the two owners, Carol Rosenblum um, and and Bob Ersa, switched franchises. Rosenblum yeah. took over the Rams, and Ursay took over the Colts. They were the owners of of the of of the other franchises. Ursay of the Rams, and Rosenblum of the Colts, and they just switched. What? what yeah. Why did they do that?
1: Uh, you know, I I'd have to go back and research I, it to refresh my memory. Uh, I think had just bought the Rams. Uh, he didn't own them for any stretch okay. of time. Got it i i uh, and you know so I mean I think that I mean there' were books written about this whole thing, and uh, you know Rosenblum died under mysterious circumstances uh he drowned uh off right outside of his house off the florida coast east coast uh and people have always questioned why he drowned he was a big time better he was a big he was a gambler Rosenblum was uh big time but uh I mean, I sure was a great coach, one of the five greatest of all time. And he was a great coach as a young guy in Baltimore who just happened to lose the game that he couldn't afford to lose.
0: Yeah. Um, by the way, Georgia Frontieri was married to Rosenblum, right? And that's how... Yes. Yeah. So she got the franchise yeah. from him when upon his died. death. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: And then she moved them to St. Louis.
0: Right. Exactly. Um, uh so, yeah. I mean, first of all, you, you said something. I mean, Shula's. Res- maybe this is an exaggeration. You went to school there. You lived in South Florida for a while. South Florida, before the Dolphins, there's just no sports there, right? I mean, other than high line and 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 and, do- and dog, dog racing and dog racing. So, I mean, the Dolphins of the '70s. This is my, you know, this is my first. Era like I, I just love the NFL in the seventies, and I I mentioned yesterday like it was in the AFC it was the Dolphins, Steelers, and Raiders, and in the NFC it was the Cowboys, Vikings, and Rams with the Redskins mixed in there during the George Allen years, and but the Dolphins were a juggernaut. They 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 were you know uh, they they were a marquee brand in all of sports, certainly in the NFL. But there was nothing before them there, right? No.
1: He's, he's the godfather of professional sports in, in South Florida. There was nothing before Shula arrived. And everything that came after that owes its foundation to what Shula built with the Dolphins. I mean, because, I mean, you know, we're talking about the only undefeated team in the history of the NFL, but, uh, the Dolphins were competitive for decades. You know, uh, he went to the Super Bowl with David Woodley.
0: I know. I, I told. I said that. You know, I told that story I, yesterday, yeah. and even the great yeah. teams of of Marino didn't have a lot around him. Uh, by the way, no. by the way, Tommy, and I don't think I mentioned this yesterday. I mentioned it this morning because last night I was watching everything on Shula. Uh, he was always my number one, number one. I just always thought the Dolphins were so well coached as a football fan. Belichick, you know, I've wavered and, and waffled a little bit here in recent years because Belichick is so good. Um, but Shula was always, you know, uh, prior to the, this incredible last decade of Belichick, was o- always my number one. But, you know, um, what Redskin fans, longtime Redskin fans, may know. Um, But for those that don't, Bobby Bethard was the architect of those early Dolphins teams. He was the general manager, and I don't even know if he had the GM title, but he was the top personnel guy in those Dolphin organizations. And last night after watching one of the uh, NFL uh, Network shows on Shul, and it may have been his football life show, I went to YouTube, because I've seen this before but not in a long time, and Super Bowl Seven, as it was broadcast by NBC, the whole game is on YouTube. You know, uh, Kurt Gowdy, Aldi Regattas on the call in the NBC ah. booth. You know, in the L.A. Coliseum, it's the undefeated Dolphins of the AFC, which, by the way, Gowdy talks about, you know, there's still this rivalry, this AFL-NFL rivalry, and the AFL still has an inferiority complex about the NFL teams, even though at that point... Remember, not only the Jets, but the Chiefs had won a Super Bowl over the Vikings as well in Super Bowl Four, And then, ironically, the Colts, who became an AFL team or an AFC team after the merger, they beat the Cowboys in Super Bowl Five. But anyway, um, Bobby Beathard is there right there on the sidelines standing next to Shula during the game. And I've seen in some of the other highlights last night that I was watching of Shula's teams in the seventies, you see Bethard on the sideline during these games, you know, you don't see GMs on the sidelines today, you know, they're watching, no. you know, that's not their responsibility, but Bethard was a big part of the dolphins success in the seventies. He was there. He got there in 71, I think, and left in 78 to come to Washington. Um, and where he you know, was the architect, obviously, of, of uh, many more Super Bowl appearances and Super Bowl-level teams. Think about that. And then he went on to San Diego and got the Chargers to their first Super Bowl ever. But those Dolphins teams of the 70s were talented. You know, on offense, Hall of Famers, Greasy, Little, Warfield, Zonka. Defensively, they were always so good. The no-name defense of 72. And they were a dominant team. You know they went to three straight Super Bowls, lost that first one to the Cowboys, and then beat the Redskins, and then crushed the Vikings in Super Bowl eight, and then the following year, you know they were twelve and two again after going fourteen and zero and they lost that famous, you know, sea of hands game, the stabler throw to Clarence Davis on the, you know, to beat the Dolphins in uh, in Oakland in one of the most memorable NFL games of all time. And that stopped the Dolphins 3-year run of AFC championships. But man, they were so good. But to your point, those teams in the 80s, they had no business, you know, winning as many games as they won? No. Other than other I, I, than Marino. I, I,
1: yeah, absolutely. He, look, he was a great coach. He, I, let me tell you, uh, uh, I'm going to tell you a, a Don Shula story, uh, not related to me. It's related to a guy I know who uh, covered the Dolphins. Uh, I'm not going to reveal his name. Uh, Shula uh, was very uh, straight-laced. Uh, when he was on the road, he kept the Bible by his bedside, not the one that was in the hotel room. The one he brought with him I mean he wasn't you know he wasn't uh, he didn't proselytize his religion but he was very straight laced and, and do things the right way was he was he was, a, he
0: was a Catholic right because I, yeah. I I think I read he went to mass every morning
1: yeah uh well this fourth Rider was out drunk one night uh, and uh, there was uh outside on the street. There was somebody giving away one of these free at the time, these free girly magazines, these like these newspaper type magazines that had all kinds of ads and phone numbers uh, of nude women and escorts. Right. Are you Familiar with these?
0: Uh, okay. I've, I've heard these of them. That, I've heard of them. But what year was this? This was this would have predated all of that stuff. I would have thought.
1: Oh, this was this was in the eighties. Oh, I think okay. eighty eighties or yeah, I think this was in the eighties. Uh, and he was hawking them on the street. So, you know, this, 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 this writer gets one. And, uh, they're staying in the same hotel as the Dolphins. And, uh, you know, he, he covered Shula and knew about Shula and the way he was. So he go he knows where Shula's room is. So he goes up to Shula's room, I guess, like about one in the morning, two in the morning, and it's tearing off pages from this newspaper magazine. And sliding them under Shula's door.
0: (laughs) He's just hammered and he's trying, he's just, he's, uh, he's, it's shenanigan time.
1: Sliding them under Shula's door. Shula opens the door. Oh boy. And the guys get caught. But Shula was such a good guy. After he gave him a talking to, that's as far as it
0: went. Wow. Um, (laughs) That's pretty funny. What city were they in? I don't. I don't remember. Okay. I don't know. Um, you know, you you were going through the list. It really is. You know, like the Mount Rushmore conversation of all time NFL coaches is like <laughs> the coaches you have to leave off. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Because and you, you know, can't
1: leave off Vince Lombardi.
0: Well, you can't.
1: Trophies named after him.
0: And at this point, you really can't leave off Belichick. You, no, can. you can't. And then to me, Shul is on the list just because, you know, you're the one that has convinced me to do more, you know, reading and watching uh, about Paul Brown. In fact, I think I told you this, you know, early in this, you know, stay at home quarantine, you know, pandemic period that we've been going through. I watched the football life of Paul Brown. I I'd not seen it before. God, what, I mean, what an innovative, yeah. what, it, what, it, I mean, the respect that Belichick had, by the way, Belichick, in that you know, during that 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 um, NFL 100 thing that he hosted with Rich Eisen and um, and Chris Collinsworth, you know they would right. they would reveal uh, a couple of coaches or maybe one coach per show. He went on and on about two particular coaches, Paul Brown and Don Shula. And he put out a statement, a personal statement. There was a team statement, but there was a statement from Belichick yesterday on Shula. Belichick grew up, as you know, in Annapolis with his father working there. You know, in that area right. in the ball. You know, and and, and he,
1: he worked as an intern for the Colts and fo- following
0: his career and followed the Dolphins. Un- uh, followed the Colts, excuse me, under Shula. You know, when he was you know a, a young a young kid and. Um, Anyway, a uh, y- young teenager, I guess, at that point. But anyway, um, I-, I got the sense from that show that Paul, Brown, and Shula would be sort of one and two in some order on Belichick's list. But anyway, the um, the point is, like, Lombardi, Belichick, Shula, Paul Brown, you know, uh, obviously Walsh, Gibbs, because um, Gibbs is in the conversation. You know, he the, – the, the, I think in a national conversation about this, I don't know that Gibbs would make the cut of the, you know, Mount Rushmore, the top 4 of all time, but man, he better be in consideration for it because Gibbs accomplished things that none of these other guys accomplished. The the, the Gibbs Shula comparison is a good one for for me because I think Gibbs was the consistent doing more with less i'm not saying the redskins weren't talented because they were but they were never the most talented team in the league they never were you know and and nor nor did you know shula ever have the most talented team in the league i guess you could say that to a certain degree about walsh um you know uh, but you couldn't say that about noel you couldn't say that about landry You know, Nolan Landry, they had the most talented teams. To go along with great coaching, I'm sure. Lombardi, talented teams. Shula, Gibbs, you know, look, Shula had the quarterback, you know. He had two Hall of Fame quarterbacks in Marino and Greasy. Um, And Walsh obviously had, you know, a Hall of Fame quarterback in Montana. Gibbs didn't have one Hall of Fame quarterback. Not one. Listen, the whole,
1: I mean... You're right about people on the national level are not generally going to put Joe Gibbs in that category until you stop them and say he's the only one uh, of of the, the ones in that era when Gibbs coached. To have taken three different quarterbacks and won three different Super Bowls. That's the game changer.
0: It is a big game changer. It's a massive it game That's, changer.
1: I mean, because we are we had this we we just had this argument for years. Who's more responsible, Belichick or Brady? You know? I mean, the coach or the quarterback. We never had that argument with Gibbs. Never. There was no doubt who was responsible in Washington.
0: No doubt. Now you and I both know that Bobby Bethard and Richie Pettibone get a lot of of, of the credit oh, as well. But but Joe, but yeah, I mean that's the point is, and we always we always fall on that with Gibbs, but it's because it's so incredibly unique. No one else has that on their resume of the great coach L- conversation. L- Nobody no, does. No, L- L- Paul
1: Brown had Otto Graham. Lombardi had Bart Starr. You know, Chuck Knoll had Terry Bradshaw. Walsh had Montana.
0: Knoll had just the flat-out most talented team year in and year out, too.
1: So there are very few, if any, coaches that have won multiple Super Bowls with different quarterbacks.
0: The list of coaches that most people would consider for a Mount Rushmore of NFL coaches, okay? I'm going to give you nine coaches here. You can add to the list if I'm missing somebody. Gibbs, Landry, Walsh. Knoll, Paul Brown, uh, Shula, Hallis, Belichick, Lombardi, okay? Every single coach that was just mentioned, you can help me with Paul Brown, that was Otto Graham, right? George Hallis, I don't even know how you measure Hallis because of how long he coached for, you know, and being a player coach and all of that. I I can't measure Hallis. I don't know anything about the teams that he won with. I know the 63 team, right, that that won the NFL title also had um, um, – who was on that staff? George Allen was on that staff, right? Wasn't Allen the defensive guru on that Bears staff that won a championship in the 60s? Um, Yeah. Paul Brown, had, Noel had, you know, of all these t- coaches, Noel Landry, as far as I know, maybe you can say Hallis or Brown, Noel Landry and, um, and, and Lombardi had year in and year out, in addition to Hall of Fame quarterbacks, Hall of Fame rosters. You know, the Redskins didn't have Hall of Fame rosters year in and year out. Shula didn't have Hall of Fame rosters year in and year out, even though he did have two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Um, Landry had Hall of Fame quarterbacks and Hall of Fame rosters. Walsh clearly had a Hall of Fame quarterback. But, you know, Walsh's teams, you know, uh, are sort of like the Redskins teams in that, you know, he had a great quarterback, which Gibbs – I think Gibbs had really good quarterbacks. Theismann, obviously, but not a Hall of Fame quarterback, but had really good teams with maybe more players on it that should have been Hall of Fame. But he did have Jerry Rice and Joe Montana. Gibbs didn't yes. have that. Didn't. Gibbs is the one nope. that, on at least based on that conversation of a, of a 9 or 10 coach list for the Mount Rushmore, did, Gibbs did more with less than any of them. He had good players, had really good players, not the same level.
1: And like I've written, what Joe Gibbs has turned around and done in a whole other sport with NASCAR winning, I think, five or or six uh, NASCAR uh, or Cup titles that uh, I think he's the greatest coach in American sports history.
0: Uh, he's certainly one of the greatest winners in the history of of sports in this country. That is for sure. Um, I think I'd have shulin in that top four. I, I think I think to me, um, it'd be tough for me to have you know shulin and Belichick in some order are one and two, um, and then you know uh, it's Gibbs. I think you can make the you know the practical case that he deserves to be in there and. You know, I I'm not going to speak to Brown and Hallis, but I, I I think Lombardi would have to be the fourth. How do you have? Yeah. How do you not have Lombardi there? Um, yeah. But you know, so many people think Walsh was the genius, and Paul Brown was a genius. Apparently, an innovator and a genius. God, it's it's a it's a list, man. It is tough to separate um, all of those guys. All right, what else you got?
1: Uh, you want to talk about the Last Dance a little
0: bit? Go ahead. I talked I about it yesterday.
1: I was surprised at how much time they spent about Michael Jordan's comments about Republicans by sneakers too. They spent a lot of time on that.
0: Okay, I talked about. Tell me why. Tell me why you were surprised.
1: Well, I just, I just, I just didn't think that that would be a great uh, documentary subject. The kind of thing that would generate. So much, so much. I was surprised that they just spent so much time on it, and uh, I think I think Michael still comes off not looking great in it.
0: See, that's interesting. Uh, first of all, on that, I, I think his answer was a great answer. Like you know, I'm again. That's it's just me. I, I don't care if the best athletes, you know, who sort of cross over into popular culture and are you know, among the most famous faces on the planet. I don't care if they're activists or not. I don't care that Jordan wasn't Ali and Jim Brown and Bill Russell. I don't care about that. I I never did. I, I never will. And it seems like he didn't care either. He just didn't, you know, he didn't, that wasn't an area of interest necessarily, which Falk, you know, I asked him about, I asked Falk this morning if that was, you know, sort of a group decision to keep Michael away from being sort of political, if like there was ever discussion about how those things should be handled. And he always, Falk's answer was, Michael told you the answer, but basically Michael had a hard time telling people what to believe in. He said, he told this story, it was actually an interesting story. He said there was a player that was deciding between me and somebody else as an agent. I asked Michael to call the guy, and Michael looked at me and said, If this guy doesn't understand that I could have my choice of any agent on the planet being who I am, and I've chosen you, and that doesn't carry weight, and I have to tell him, and I have to make you know, sort of a, a call to you know a reference call for you. Then you don't want that guy as a client anyway. But he said that Michael had a hard time telling people what to do and what to believe, and he didn't think it was his deal. Not to mention that he was singularly focused on being, you know, a great basketball player. Um, but he didn't want to be in that. Um, he didn't want. I get that. Yeah. I, but
1: but here's the thing. One thing, you can't force a person to be what they're not. I understand that.
0: And he wasn't I mean, he that. Was not,
1: he, right. But in one specific situation, in the place where he grew up, his influence could have changed could have changed the future of that state. If he would have basically backed Harvey
0: Gant uh over uh Jesse Helms. Uh, over
1: Jesse Helms. I mean you did you did not have to be a political whiz if you're, if you're an African American in North Carolina to figure out the right side of that argument.
0: Right. But he did donate think, money to Gant's campaign. Uh, we learned I that. Know, but,
1: but, he, he could have, he could have had a significant influence on it. And I think that made him look bad. I don't think his I, I you can't force someone to be who they're not, but I don't see, I mean, you didn't have to be a political scientist. To figure out the right side of that, if you're Michael Jordan.
0: Um, yeah, you know, you know, it's really, really... And,
1: and it's interesting. I forgot he turned down the invitation to the White House in '91 with uh, with Bush. I forgot about that. He didn't go. Uh,
0: I I forgot about that too. By the way, last night, real quickly, Jeopardy was is running old Jeopardy shows. And it was the first show that um, Ken Jennings won. You know the the winningest until that other guy that came along last year. But in terms of the number of shows, he won seventy four straight Jeopardy shows. Um, right. It was the first one that he won, <laughs> and he you know he's the challenger. And it was two thousand and four, and there was a question about a North Carolina Senate race. And I immediately said that it was, um, that, it, that, you know, I immediately answered Jess, uh, the, Jesse Helms thinking that, you know, it was like a late 90s, you know, early 2000s question. The answer to the question, or the, the question ended up being, who is Elizabeth Dole? Because Dole took Helms' um, uh, Senate seat when he retired in the mid or late 90s, whenever that was. I don't know. I forget when the election against Gantt was. I think it was 1992 or something like that. Um, but I had forgotten that Elizabeth Dole, Bob Dole's wife, had been uh, a Republican senator um, in North Carolina. By the way, the other senator at the time, because I went and looked it up last night, was John Edwards. Oh, yeah. Yeah, during that period of time. Um. All right. Uh, what else from the last days? I mean, I I thought I thought the the gambling stuff is interesting. I mean, my my take, Tommy, and I think I mentioned this yesterday. It's not. I told Falk this this morning because he brought up the same thing. As I asked David Falk, I said, "Were you? Did you ever have a moment where you were concerned about Jordan's gambling?" And he talked about how his father was a compulsive gambler and he had some real experience with that. And, you know, sort of, you know, leaning towards, you know, maybe I I was concerned at one point, but ultimately, you know, what Michael said was true. He had a competition problem, not a gambling problem. Michael could stop gambling. That was not something that he said my father could do. And I I understand the difference between sort of compulsive problem and somebody who does it who can stop doing it. Um, But uh, my point that I made yesterday, it's not how much money he has. It's not that he can afford it. Millions of times over, we have seen many people with millions of dollars lose all of it to a gambling addiction. you know they, would it be really hard for Michael Jordan to lose all of his money gambling probably, but that 's not the point. You either have an addiction and a sickness or you don 't you know it 's not somebody with that 's wagering five dollars you know a game can have a sickness, and it leads to a lot of things it leads to physical. It manifests itself in physical sicknesses. And not to mention the fact that it's also sometimes the associations with, you know, not the, the, the cleanest in, uh, of people, you know, uh, that. And we saw, I thought, one of the interesting parts of that is the whole $57,000 check to Slim Bowler. Uh, somebody you see, tw- that's always
1: the problem in this. The yeah, problem is, that that, is, is how, how vulnerable do you make yourself
0: right. to bad influences? That's right. That's right. That's the issue. Well, no. Th- well, there, there's a sickness part of it too. Okay, the addiction is unhealthy, and it's it doesn't discriminate based on income level. So th- th- it it doesn't. Now the other part of it is, yeah, the 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 associations that you can potentially, especially when you're an athlete, a professional athlete, get get yourself involved in. I mean, somebody tweeted out yesterday, or I'm sorry, Sunday night. Um, The next documentary I want to see is a 10-parter on Slim Buller.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Which would have been a good He's got one.
1: some stories, of it.
0: Oh, I know what I wanted to tell you. One more thing. Did you see Wilbon's tweet this morning? No. Um, Mike Wilbon tweeted out the following. I'm going to find it real quickly. Um, This morning, or maybe it was late last night. I saw it early this morning. My apologies to Isaiah Thomas. Multiple sources reached out to tell me I'm dead wrong to say that nine members of the dream team objected to Isaiah being on the 92 Olympic team. Nowhere near that number objected. My apologies to Isaiah for getting it wrong. Um Isaiah retweeted it um by the way and uh and said thanks when he retweeted it. Uh I don't Okay,
1: know. you don't you don't you don't have to search the earth to find people who don't like Isaiah Thomas.
0: No, you don't.
1: For, for a lot of reasons.
0: Yeah. I mean, so it's just interesting. Wilbon clearly was told by somebody it's not nine. I, I wish it would have been funny had he said, my apologies to Isaiah Thomas. Multiple sources reached out to tell me I'm dead wrong to say nine members. It, it was nowhere near that number. But it was greater than three. Or, you know, in less than five or something like that. Because here's what we learned from the show the other night, if you believe Jordan and Armstrong and a couple of other people that weighed in on this, Rod Thorne even. Um, Jordan, Michael, and Magic were were, it seemed, certainly all had the same opinion, which is no Isaiah on this team, please. And Jordan said, and I'm paraphrasing that the vibe had Isaiah been on the team would have been much different. And he had just talked about what a great team it was to be a part of and how everybody got along and the whole thing. No one, no, nobody loved Isaiah times. I had Legler on the radio show yesterday and you know, Leg- that's Legler's era and Legler, Said, yeah, you you know, essentially what you said. You, you didn't have to look hard to find somebody that didn't like Isaiah Thomas.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I I agree with that. Obviously, there was one part in the uh, in the uh, um, one of these sessions that uh, where Michael's being interviewed about his gambling. Finally, he he agrees to talk about it with Ahmad Rashad. Yeah, and. And he's doing, he looks so terrible because he's doing this interview while wearing sunglasses.
0: Right. I know. I mean, I, I it was that. a
1: bad, bad look. Yeah. It it, it, it had addicts written all over it. Yeah. It really did.
0: Um, Yeah. It's, it's weird, right? You know, he's going, dr- driving to the game. Ahmad was obviously a, a really good friend of his, you know, Many people probably don't know this. I don't know if he, a lot of people know, even back then, um, that Re- Ahmad Rashad was a phenomenal NFL wide receiver. You know, if, for those people that, that, don't, that don't know that. Um, and I sort of ha- occasionally think that people didn't know that about him. They just thought he was, you know, the NBC guy that was Michael Jordan's friend.
1: Yeah, he was a standout for the Minnesota Vikings.
0: For the Vikings,
1: and I think he got drafted by the Cardinals, the St. Louis Cardinals, when he was Bobby Moore. That was his name before he changed his name. Yes, the Bobby guy. Moore,
0: exactly, Tommy. It, it, it yes. was it was St. Louis. Actually, it was Buffalo. I thought it was Buffalo. Well,
1: maybe it could have been. I could be wrong about
0: that. Um, but I re- I certainly remember him with the Vikings in the in the seventies into the eighties. You know, the, some of those Vikings teams were really good teams. Yeah. You know? um, All right. uh, On the
1: other hand, I'm enjoying the documentary tremendously.
0: I'm glad because I I wasn't. It's great to watch. It's really good. It's been very good. Um, All right. uh, Thanks. I'll talk to you on Thursday. Okay, boss. All right. Thanks for listening today. Have a great day. Stay well. Stay safe.